Hi, it's Libby Kelly. Welcome to this next episode. I am really excited to bring you this conversation with Dr. Mary Claire O'Brien. She covers a wide range of topics from the shame and embarrassment that so wrongly are a part of a girl's period to period politics and how tampons are taxed and not paid for by WIC, Medicaid, or food stamps. She beautifully discusses the psychological transition of menopause and getting older. And the end of this podcast, she is really could be classified as a just motivational, inspirational words of true empowerment for women. Dr. O'Brien is a professor of emergency medicine and professor of social sciences and health policy. She has more than 35 years of experience caring for critically ill and injured patients. Since joining Wake Forest University School of Medicine in 2003, she has held numerous leadership roles, including serving as Senior Associate Dean for Healthcare Education. Her groundbreaking research into alcohol and energy drinks made her one of the nation's foremost experts on this topic. Her professional passions are faculty development, resident and faculty coaching, and motivational speaking. In 2015, she was recognized as the Mentor of the Year by Wake Forest University's Office of Women in Medicine and Science. Dr. O'Brien is currently working on a book on leadership and medicine. I am really excited for you all to listen to her. Let's get started. Mary Claire, I am so excited to have you join me. Welcome. Hello, Libby. Before we get started, I have to tell a very quick story that I think really encapsulates one of your greatest skills, which is that of a master mentor. Thank you, Libby. Um, <laughs> it was about 12 years ago. I was nursing my newborn daughter, and I had other two other small kids running around, and I was locked in my office, actively nursing a baby. I had said yes months prior to a a book chapter, uh, of course, knowing I was about to have a third child. My footnote software had crashed. The toddlers were banging on the office door. My arm was cramped. (laughs) And I was just feeling crushed under the weight of all all, the weight of all the yeses. Mm -hmm. And knowing I was, I, I was fully responsible for this madness. And you called out of the blue to check on me mm-hmm. and I described the baby, the software crash and the chapter deadline. And you stopped me and you said something like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. yeah except I think I used another word there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You definitely used yeah, a different, it was word. A different um, word. And then of course you went on to say, uh, which I love Libby, you can be everything, but not all at the same time. Amen. And amen. And you you really dunked my head in a bucket of ice water in that moment and made me wake up and 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 realize the need to to say no sometimes or even more often than that. That's right. See, you're still alive to talk about it. It's all <laughs> I am. Okay. And uh, this is just one example of the many Mary Claire pearls of wisdom you have dropped on me. And, you know, <laughs> I wanted to share the story and send it out into the world because hopefully we all have a person or even better people mm-hmm. in our lives who are acutely aware of all the facets of our lives and can reach out into the depths of our souls and armed with this knowledge of us. And their own life experience, like like you do so well, and you know, it's not that that mentor necessarily has all the answers. 
Um, but for me, they're able to sort of pull me out of my myopic weeds view of my life and give me that 10,000 foot perspective. Oh, I think often in life, you need somebody to give you permission to do what in your heart you really somewhere deep down know is already the right thing. But you need someone else to say, you know what? You do you. Oh, 100%. Yes. So I have just finished uh, a podcast with Dr. Nell Johnson on the Western medicine side of menopause. And I would love to hear what your talk is going to be about and if you could comment on the title. Yeah, so I thought about this a lot, and I finally decided it needs to be buckle up, sister. Uh, Welcome to the ride of your life, because menopause is scary when you're looking at it and then also when you're going through it. But I'm here to tell you, it is just the one ride at Disney World that when you get off, you're like, damn, I'm glad that was over. But wow, it is so good to be done. And so uh, anyway, buckle up because it's a big deal. But uh, those of us who've been through it can help those of you who are looking at it and going through it get through. And part of the thing is it's not just the physical changes, but the emotional and psychic changes that come along with it. And it's a process. It's not an event, right? It's not the change. It's a change. And kind of wrestling with those sorts of things at this stage of your life is equally as important as learning to deal effectively with some of the physical changes that will challenge you. Um, the, the psychic changes, the emotional changes are important too, but you can do it. <laughs> oh God. Love it. Before we dive into the deep into the menopause spectrum, I would love, I've heard you talk about this. I'd love for you to start really on the opposite end of the whole period spectrum with menarche and your thoughts on the shame and embarrassment that really shrouds this very normal and natural part of life. Yeah, we were going to talk about menopause. And so I spent time actually thinking about that first period. And I realized that girls all over have such a wide range of emotions about that first period, excitement, fear, curiosity, and also a lot of embarrassment. Then we get it, and it's our little friend for about 40 years, more or less. Every month, minus pregnancy and nursing, you know, it comes out to about 400 to 500 periods, thousands of tampons and pads, bottles and bottles of ibuprofen. And I looked it up, and at this moment, there are 800 million people on the planet having their period right now. And some of them started having periods when they were as young as 10 years old. Modern American society, much of Western society, does not view that first period as a cause for celebration. And on the contrary, menstruation in patriarchal societies like ours is associated with a lot of shame. So I challenge you. Do you hide your tampons when you go to the bathroom? Yes. And if you think about it, (laughs) yeah. And if you think about it, like the old tampon down the sleeve, we've all got it down, right? But if you think about it, asking the person next to you for a tampon should be no more unusual than asking them for a Kleenex. And the purchasing and carrying and using and disposing of pads and tampons should be no more embarrassing than washing your face or buying toilet paper. Oh, but wait a minute. Hold on. Do you pay for toilet paper? In public places, do you pay for toilet paper? Are your daughters paying for feminine products in schools? Do they even have tampon or pad dispensers in the school, in the girls' room? You need to go look. Imagine a world where a high school linebacker had to go ask the nurse for toilet paper if he needed to have a bowel movement. (laughs) Yeah. So that sounds outrageous, but it should make you angry. 
bathroom hygiene products should be free and they should be freely available in public spaces and we shouldn't have to ask. We were getting ready to do this conversation and I uh, go to the YMCA and I went, was in the women's room and I'm past the point of needing feminine hygiene products. But I saw there were no dispensers for these in the YMCA and I went and asked about it very nicely. I was told the reason they don't keep them in the ladies' rooms is because, quote, people mess with the machines. Maybe do they? Maybe because they need a tampon or a tampon and don't have a quarter. Yeah, right. So let's put a toilet paper machine in the men's locker room and see if they will pay twenty-five cents every time they need toilet paper to wipe their bottoms. It would never happen. So I would say that discussions about periods and tampons and uh, girls and how we raise them that we should demand in our societies, in our schools and our libraries and our public places that they, we budget for period products just like we budget for yeah. toilet paper. Schools, public libraries, recreational facilities should just provide them and they should make them freely accessible without asking. They're not luxury items, they're hygiene products. And part of what this says is that we have been socialized as women that it is normal to have to ask for something as basic and intimate as toilet paper and also that we should be ashamed of it. And that tells you something about our society. Until I heard you talk about this, I I really um, just assumed and thought, of course it's a normal and a natural thing to be ashamed of your period and hide it and whisper about it. And you know, to my own daughters like, oh, it's okay. If you need a tampon, I'm gonna let's hide it in a bag in your backpack that nobody can see. And and there's really something liberating about thinking about it like toilet paper or Kleenex. Kleenex. No, Kleenex. You're not embarrassed when you blow your nose. And I know you've done a lot of research. Um, what you've what I heard you refer to as period politics. I'd love to talk you to talk a little bit about that, about the taxes surrounding products and and what and the effect on on girls that really can't afford these products. Those of us who can afford menstrual products don't probably give a whole lot of thought to what that might mean to a girl or a woman who couldn't afford them. Lack of access to affordable menstrual hygiene products is a global problem, but period poverty is not limited to third world countries. One in four teens in the United States has missed class because they don't have access to menstrual Gosh. products. And period products are not covered by food stamps, WIC, or Medicaid. Unbelievable. In uh, getting into this subject, there's a wonderful global nonprofit organization called the PAD Project, and Melissa Burton is the executive director of that. And she says, a period should end a sentence, not a girl's education. And so I would encourage your listeners to go on Netflix and pull up the uh, free documentary movie uh, about this, A Period Should End a Sentence, Not a Girl's Education, and it's by the PAD Project. It won the 2019 Academy Award for Documentary Shorts. It's really amazing. It's about rural India. And the PAD Project partners with local organizations all over the world to purchase and distribute menstrual products to people who need them. If you know anybody who's looking for a community project that will help empower girls and women, tell them to check out the PAD Project. Okay, and, I, and you you mentioned that, and I watched, and it is absolutely fantastic. And I will put a link in the show notes for folks to be able to pull that to pull that up and have that information. So, and to the website for the PAD Project, it's just a really good it's incredible thing. to think that I mean to think of girls actually missing class because I've been fortunate my whole life never to think about the cost of a tampon and 
it just makes me it's it's anger inducing honestly to think that girls in schools everywhere are don't have access to those products and therefore they're missing class it's so sad it's so sad yeah it's interesting i will talk about it a little bit more cuz i want to mention scotland but uh, i was speaking with someone who had not yet been enlightened let's leave it that way and uh their response to this whole thing was, well, what if you put all the pads and tampons in the women's rooms and everyone's just going to steal them? And I said, well, if they steal them, they must need them because you can't sell them on eBay. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> and people don't steal all the toilet paper out of public restrooms because there's plenty there for everyone who needs it. And so it really just doesn't need yeah. to be an issue. Yeah. Uh, but societally, we're not there yet. And I maybe I'll see it in my lifetime. But boy, we're not going to get anywhere unless we make a little yes. bit of noise about oh, it. So. Well, such interesting, uh, such interesting thoughts around this that you've really made me think about it in a way that I really, really never have. Um, so you mentioned taxes, Libby. So once again, take a great big <laughs> breath and prepare to get really ticked off before we dive into nicely the topic of menopause. Are you aware that in 22 states, including the state of North Carolina, menstrual products are taxed as luxuries? Oh, luxuries? Yeah. Non-essential items for which the combined state and county tax rate in North Carolina here anyway is 7%. So toilet paper is not taxed anywhere in the United States because toilet paper is a necessity. So I would call this a whiskey tango foxtrot <laughs> disgrace. Yes. No one should pay a luxury tax for a, a, a normal bodily function. Yeah, that's ridiculous. So there is a petition to the North Carolina General Assembly to end our tampon tax. And it was started by a young woman named Serena Horner when she was a sophomore at Forsyth Country Day. She's now at UNC uh, Chapel Hill. Anyway, she uh, started a petition, and if you Google North Carolina tampon tax, and maybe you could put a link to that yes, too, you can sign this online. And it got me thinking, 43 out of 170 legislative seats in the state of North Carolina, so about a quarter, are held by women. Now, do you think if that ratio were reversed, sanitary napkins and tampons would be considered non-essential items for tax purposes? Yeah, I mean, it needs to really, change. Truly. The women in Scotland did something about this. Scotland is the first country in the world to make period products both free and freely accessible. The Periods Product Act passed unanimously in the Scottish Parliament. You wouldn't want to be the one guy that voted against that, would you? And then go home <laughs> to your wife and daughters and your mom. <laughs> happening. So there was a survey in the United Kingdom, and it found that one in 10 girls between the ages of 14 and 21 had reported being unable to afford menstrual products, and half had missed it at least an entire day of school by because of that, because of their periods. So as of Monday, uh, August 22nd, 2022, students in Scottish schools and universities don't have to pay for pads and tampons, and they don't have to ask for them. And in all the public buildings in Scotland, that means the libraries, the schools, train stations, public buildings, pads and tampons are free and freely accessible in the bathroom where they should be, along with the toilet paper. <laughs> wow. How wonderful, How, right? <laughs> yeah, imagine that. Wow, that's incredible. Go Scotland. Gosh, yeah, exactly. Thank you for that that review. I think it's I think it's so important. And you know, another thing you you shared have shared with me is how your own mother rejoiced when you got your period. And could you tell that 
that that little story, if you don't mind. Quite sure. personal. <laughs> yeah, oh, I don't mind. My, my mother would actually be proud to share that story. So when my mom was 13, that was about 1944, um, she was sent home from school by the teacher who noticed that she had a blood stain on the back of her uniform. And the teacher said to her, go home and talk to your mother. And my mom had to walk uh, the mile back from her school to her home. And the whole time she told me that she was thinking she was dying because she was bleeding, right? And so she had to be very sick. And she didn't know where the blood was coming from either. I mean, it was obviously, it was in her underwear and on her clothes, but she didn't know what was happening. She thought she was dying. She went home to my grandmother, who was reportedly very old fashioned. My grandmother saw the stain on the skirt and handed my mother a sanitary napkin and a belt and uttered the three words that were the sum total of reproductive education my mother ever had in her entire life. And those three words were, put this on. Gosh. And that's that was it. Up until and including <sighs> marriage, my mother got nothing. And oh. she was so ashamed. And somehow, uh, I don't know how she... I don't know how she was that progressive, but she got it in her head that when, if she had daughters, that she was going to do something different. So when I got my first period, when I was 13 years old, sometime in the 1970s, early 1970s, my mother went out and got a cake and she had the, the baker put on the cake. Uh, congratulations, Mary. And my mother had cake at dinner with candles uh, and made everyone sing congratulations. And her words were, Congratulations, Mary's a woman now. I mean, it gives me the chills. It really does. I remember being proud and uh, a little bit embarrassed, mostly proud. The embarrassment came later, you know, because uh, my father would holler up the stairs when he was going to the grocery store, do you need any sanitary products? Just to humiliate me, right? Because it was supposed to be funny. It's not funny. And so uh, anyway, I was always really proud that my mother did that. And I thought for a woman in the uh, 1970s, the early 1970s, that was a really novel thing. And so I resolved, I did the same thing. I have three daughters and I did the same thing for them. And of course, we're a medical family. So body functions are not uh, taboo subject matters. And it was just something that was normal, right? And something that we recognized and fussed about when our girls all got their periods. And to think that how your mother, over the course of the arc of her life, how she changed. I mean, that's really pretty profound. Okay. I would love to hear your thoughts on society's view of older women. It's not a pretty picture. So modern society uses the phrase dried up to discuss us older women. And I would like you to note that it does not use that phrase to describe older men. And that is because no one measures the value of men based on their reproductive capacity because we all know a man can be a father mm -hmm. even at a very advanced age. Hence, the societal message is sperm, the mighty men, don't age, but only the poor, weak ova, us sexually <sighs> impotent women, do. And so while there's some physiologic truth in that construct, sociologically, in my mind, it is a very dangerous thing. Because if we are perceived to not be contributing to the community, it might be thought that we had no value. And what about women who are unable to reproduce or women who choose not to reproduce? Are they not women? Of course they're women. And if the very definition of a woman in society is a person who can reproduce, what happens when you no longer have that power? Are you no longer a woman? Of course not. The double standard is 
is just simply ridiculous. You, you ask your friends who are older women like me, and what they will describe to you is seeing somewhat of a transition in how people look at them. It's curious because other older women automatically connect with us in a way that I think I did not connect automatically when I was a younger woman hmm. with other younger women. But older women connect hmm. immediately with other older women. This is my experience. And yet when you go into a group, if you're the only older woman, uh, you could, or you could be standing in line at the checkout or something like that, people don't look at you and make eye contact with you the way hmm. that they did when you were a younger woman. It changes. You start to become a little bit invisible which is probably why we get a little bit louder. And I have absolutely <laughs> no problem with that. <laughs> oh my God, too funny. Oh. Um, you know, another thing uh, that you've talked about is just society's view of, of, of motherhood and really can be by extension womanhood is being about sacrifice. What are your thoughts on that? Yes. Well, in societies everywhere, motherhood, and I would say by extension womanhood, is the embodiment of sacrifice. So we've been socialized to believe that womanhood is about sacrifice. And what do you sacrifice? What do we sacrifice? Our personal goals, our professional goals, our interpersonal relationships. We put our families first and we're taught to do that. We're putting them ahead of our spouses, our children if we have them, our aging parents. We put them ahead. We put our families first, our spouses, our children, if we have them, our aging parents, we put them ahead of everyone and everything else. Most importantly, mm -hmm. we put them ahead of ourselves. We sacrifice ourselves. Why? Because a good woman is meant to be undemanding, uncomplaining, and a servant. She sacrifices, she serves. And that is a nearly universal worldwide cultural paradigm, male privilege and female subordination. You and I have been breathing that narrative every day of our lives, as did our mothers, and our mother's mothers, and our mother's mother's mothers, all the way mm. back to the beginning of time. Gosh, it, you know, I, I, you know, hear your listing of what we sacrifice, and I think I, I remember so many years sacrificing really my my physical body, feeling like I I could never take care of my body how it really needed to be taken care of. I remember my husband saying, "Well, why don't you go exercise?" And that feeling like, "What? Like, <laughs> are you kidding?" Like. Like, how could I possibly yes. put aside right. everything else on all the physical needs of everyone else um, to go take care of myself, which in retrospect is just is ludicrous. Yeah. In the beginning, it's all you can do to get a shower, mm -hmm. you know, if not every day, every other day, because you're just so mm -hmm. busy. And if you did have time, mm -hmm. it's sleep. Yes. Right. You wouldn't go exercise. You're exhausted all the time. It really is so yeah. challenging. And it, it's nice to really think about how that 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 needs to needs to shift and i think you know the discussion more of you know the mental health of the mother and how that really affects so much of how you parent and you know that's something that we can't say enough about now and how hopefully that will change a little as women as time goes on and our my daughters have children i know you have a granddaughter you know that they will take a little better care yeah. of themselves than the generations before he them. likes to say that the most important thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. Ah. And, and I'm sitting here thinking maybe the most important thing a mother can do for her children is to teach them to love themselves. So ah. if you love yourself and you model that and you take care of yourself, your children are going to learn that that's important and they'll see that in you and want to do it again. And if you're constantly emptying your glass and never taking time to refill it, 
then you can anticipate that that's what your children are going to do when you're not anywhere, when you're no longer around to help them. Yes. Oh, I mean, it's so true. You know, I, I was sitting with a group of friends the other day and we were talking about, do we want our daughters to treat themselves like we have treated ourselves? And everybody, it was a resounding no. Like, no, we actually yeah. want them to take much better care of themselves, prioritize themselves. <laughs> well, I would uh, stick your head in the ice bucket again and tell you that uh, you don't have any excuse unless right. you start taking care of yourself now. You have to yeah. model the behavior, right? Unfortunately, they, they do what we do, not what we say. So what a beautiful lesson to remember that our actions are affecting our daughters and how we are really shaping generations of women to come by how we treat ourselves. It's, I mean, it's so important. Uh, so menopause is everywhere in the media, and maybe it's because I have immersed myself in the topic, but it's all over the place. Uh, Vanity Fair, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, a lot of Gen X celebrities are, are talking about it. But Interestingly, it's always presented as more of a disease. I'd love for you to, I know you have thoughts there. I'd love for you to share. So yeah, you look on the Mayo Clinic website and here's what it'll tell you you have to look forward to during menopause. Irregular periods, vaginal dryness, hot flashes, chills, night sweats, sleep problems, mood changes, slowed metabolism, weight gain, thinning hair, dry skin, and best of all, loss of breast fullness. Okay, gee, who would want to sign up for that? <laughs> and this list is on the Mayo Clinic website under the heading of diseases and conditions. They forgot a couple of things that I would add. Fatigue, anxiety, brain fog, lack of confidence, feeling overwhelmed, and depression. And all these symptoms are not universal to every woman who goes through menopause, but they're very common. And so while it's important to have the list, I have news for you. Society would tell you that my hot flashes are a disease and my vaginal dryness is a condition. That's wrong. Tough as menopause is, it's normal for a 63-year-old vagina to be drier than a 35-year-old mm -hmm. vagina. You know, the old gal's not getting as much exercise <laughs> as she used to. She needs, she needs a little more help to party. Uh, but uh, intimacy is still very important in older age. I, I uh, joke, uh, you know, I'd rather have a foot rub than an orgasm. But you know what? I felt that way when I was 35, too. <laughs> oh, God. I, I, would, I would say, yeah, I'm just going to put it right out there for the universe. You can have it. I love it. As you age, I would say, if your doctor is not asking you directly at your checkups, and I, I had this experience. I went to see my nurse practitioner for a checkup and she said flat out, how's your vagina doing? <laughs> That's great. It was so liberating to me because who wants to talk about my vagina? Here's the thing. If your doctor, your nurse practitioner, your PA, whoever takes care of you and your sexual reproductive health is not asking you flat out, how's your vagina doing? Then you need a new healthcare provider. Your vagina is your oldest, bestest girlfriend. And you two have been through some very happy times and some very difficult times. And you have got to take <laughs> care of her. It's important in menopause to talk to your doctor and see and explain what menopause is like mm -hmm. for you because there's better life through chemistry. You should talk to your girlfriends and your sisters about menopause. 
women who have been through it, whether or not they need hormone replacement, different things that work for them and don't, you should ask. It's not something you should keep to yourself. You should talk to your partners. You should talk to your daughters. And you know what? You should talk to your brothers mm -hmm. and your sons because there is absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. Information is liberating. And I'll tell you one other thing about menopause. You never need to worry about getting pregnant again. Yay! All that intimacy or, you know, the anxiety of trying to get pregnant and not. So that intimacy is just for intimacy in menopause. And it's wonderful. It's just different. Um, but that's okay. Oh, so wonderful. Oh, my God. Thank you for that. And, you know, just being so open about it is just awesome. Really, really, really awesome. You've, you've referenced a little bit of this um, about the, the psychological transition that going through this really entails. I'd love you to talk a little bit more about, about that. Specifically, I remember you talking about how you can finally uh, go from being this giver and person who fulfills the needs of all to finally taking care of yourself. Yeah, the problem is you kind of forget how to do it. So uh, in my mind, to be a woman is to be a giver. We give to others, body and soul. When you're pregnant or nursing or recuperating, you mentioned that, you think to yourself, am I ever going to get my body back? Mm-hmm menopause rolls around and it's all yours again. It doesn't look anything like what you remembered it. We spend so much of our time giving uh, to our spouses, our children, our extended families, our friends, our colleagues, our churches, our communities. We sacrifice our own interests and hobbies. And for years, our lives revolve around other mm -hmm. people. Menopause is the time when you finally get a chance to care about yourself again. But there's a glitch. And that is, if you think about it, most of your social activities as a young and middle-aged woman involve your children and your children's friends' parents. So neighborhood parties, ball games, music recitals, school events, class trips, all that. You typically hang out with other parents. Once everyone's kids go off to school, most of these social circles fall apart. And it's very easy to become isolated. Ironically, just at a time when we really need our female friends the most. I have found I have to work at making time for the few friends who are keepers. And I have to work at picking up the life I laid aside before I had kids. Oh, wait, did I used to have a life? <laughs> I forget what it's like to have a life. Yes, I had life. So I'm not worried about getting older. I have never been wiser. And ironically, in some way, I have never been more powerful than I am now. I'm the same smart, compassionate, pragmatic, outspoken badass at age 63 that I was at age 35. Menopause in the rearview mirror makes me say this, age and experience define you, not your need for tampons. Your heart, not your uterus. And while your womanhood might begin with that first period, it's not defined by monthly blood flow or the lack of it any more than it is defined by eating or having sex or urinating or sleeping or nursing a baby or any of the other normal bodily functions that are possible for the human female. For part of their life cycles, females have periods. At a certain point, they stop having periods. It's not the change. It's one change. Like my whole life has been about change. What I say to you about menopause is this, hallelujah. Do not be afraid. Those hot flashes hurled your impending liberation from the 28-day physiologic calendar that has ruled both your sex life and your underwear wardrobe 
for the past 40 years. <laughs> Hallelujah. I promise you are not going to be sorry to wave goodbye to Aunt Flo. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, preach it. I love <laughs> I've never met a woman who wasn't glad to get on the other side of menopause. Okay. So this reminds me, you mentioned feeling wiser, obviously, and more powerful than you have, you know, in your, your earlier decades. I have just opened up a journal. I used to journal in high school and college and last journaled 18 years ago, right after I had gotten married. And I opened up this journal. I was so excited to remember what I'd written and 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 I as I'm reading these pages I realized I am a different person. I mean, I feel cell for cell in my body. I feel like I am a completely different person who values such different things now and who cares about such more important things. And and I just I'm so happy not to be that you know, I guess 30-year-old girl, I thought, oh, thank God I am who I am now. And I know I will probably feel the same way, you know, 15 years down the road. Be able to kind of uh, take her hand and say to her, you know what? It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. It's all going to work out. It's going to be all right. There's going to be some bumpy times. There's going to be some very hard times, but the people who love you and whom you love will get you through. It's going to be all right. You'd love to be able to say that. Gosh, I would. Um, when you're a very young woman in your 20s, you wonder about who you are and what you will become. What am I interested in? What am I good at? What am I really good at? Does anybody else think I'm good? And then in a blink, you're 30. You know who you are, but you're worried about what everyone else thinks of you. You try so hard to fit in in your 30s. How do I get them to notice me? Do they really like me? Why aren't they including me? I must be doing something wrong. Suddenly you're 40. Pass the under eye cream. <laughs> 40 is fantastic. You finally learn to say no. Oh, gee, that sounds really wonderful. I wish I could help you with that. I'm sorry. No. Oh, it's fabulous. And then sometime around the age of 50, you finally stop caring about what other people think when you say no. It is magnificent. And when you are 60, blessed 60, you realize that all that worrying and fussing about who you are and what other people think is a complete pile of manure. It is your life and you are fine just the way you are. The wider universe can take you or leave you because the people who love you and whom you love are enough. You don't have to prove a damn thing to anybody. <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's the Mary Claire manifesto. I love that would it. Be it. Thank you so much for being here. I mean, you always find a way to move me and empower me and inspire me. And I am always better for it. Thank you so much for being here. Pleasure. Guys, this is precisely what I love about using podcasting as a medium to get someone else's message across and relay the love and wisdom of a person like Mary Claire. I mean, like this discussion of women by the decade is is like brilliant. It's in our 20s, you wonder who you are, what you'll become, and do others think I'm good? In our 30s, we're still worried about 
what other people think and we can't say no. By 40, finally, we can say no, but we have guilt when we do so. By 50, we're going to stop caring about what other people think when we do say no. And finally, in our 60s, you realize it's your life. You're fine just the way you are. And as she said, all that matters is that the people that you love and who love you are enough. I mean, it's it's gold. <laughs> um, you know, I find her to be this great big booming paradox where on the one hand, she tells you the truth. She told us here what we need to be angry about, tampon taxes and girls missing class due to their periods and the undervaluing of older women. She, she tells you about these passions with such directness and almost fever, but then on the other hand, she does so in the very most loving and vulnerable and compassionate way. And you leave her feeling like, wow, thank God that woman is in my life. So I'm just happy to share a small piece of Mary Claire with you all. Thank you to her. Thanks, as always, to Russell Kelly for sound editing and music magic. Thank you, everyone.